Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We continue on in our series, the, the Empowered Church. It is the church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. We sang this earlier. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. Lame, leaping, for joy. Oh, that must just be some poetic thing. Something a a hymn writer comes up with. Surely it is. I've never seen someone who was lame leap for joy. Have you? Some people would say, you know what, if I had my health, I would have everything. Really? Is that accurate? For the believer, is our health everything? I have a friend who is a pastor. Sometime back, he asked for prayer for his wife's sister. Seems that on the same day she found out she was pregnant, she found out she had cancer. Very serious. The doctors said, well, you need to get rid of the baby so that we can go after this cancer and we can do what we can against it. And maybe you'll have some time with your husband and rest of your family. This young woman and her husband are believers, and they said, no, we, we're not going to get rid of the baby. We're going to have the baby, and we will walk by faith and see what this means. She was able to have some treatment, but not a full course because of the danger to the baby. As the time got closer... This uh, pastor friend asked for prayer as the delivery date approached. The mother was very weak. There was concern for the baby. We'll talk more about this in a moment. But today, I want us to see a perspective on healing From the book of Acts, we're going to be reading in chapter 3. We've got a lot to cover. We're going to move rapidly and see what it says about healing in Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, 
Now look, I don't want you to listen to this one-dimensionally, two-dimensionally. I want you to picture this. This is an actual account of something that happened in space and time. This is more real than what you see on TV. A man, verse 2, lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He thought he was going to get some alms. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, oh wait a minute, this is where the hymn writer got it. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Indeed, thanks be to you, O God, for your power, for your recording of this historic moment when you worked in front of people, believers and unbelievers, when you used weak vessels to do your work. Well, we are weak vessels, Lord, so help us to focus upon you in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want us to look, and, and this is somewhat groundwork for the rest of the book of Acts. We'll be referring back to a number of things we say today, so I'm going to hit some of them very rapidly, and then uh, uh, just know that we will be coming back to some of these principles in, in term, when we think about healing, one question someone could have is, well, what's the purpose? And you might say, well, what in the world are you saying? What do you mean, what's the purpose of healing? It's so you feel better. It's so if you're sick, you're not sick anymore. That's the purpose of healing. Well, that is the outward effect of healing. But there's a greater purpose when it comes to biblical healing. Think about it. At, at best, healing, even healing by the apostles, was only temporary. Right? Even healing Jesus did was temporary if we're just talking about 
somebody who's sick and they start feeling better because what's going to happen is that eventually they'll start feeling worse again at some point. It may be quickly, it may be years or decades, maybe a lifetime away, but at some point they won't feel so good and then you die. So, is that the whole point? Some see it as that. Jesus wants you well. But it's far greater than that. The first reason, the first purpose of healing is the glory of God. The healer. There's no single verse here that states that, but we see at each point is that the glory of God is the focus. It's not to glorify any person. It's not about the healers. They don't get lifted up and carried out and you know all, all of that after they do a healing. It points to God and His power and His glory. Second purpose. Verse 10 and 11 drawing attention to an endorsement of a message that is, has either just been preached or is going to be preached. Look at uh, in those verses, verse 10. Uh, and they recognize him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. In other words, people walk by this guy all the time. It's like at some exits on the highway where you see the the same people at the end all the time you say, oh yeah, I remember him. You know, as you're sitting at the rest, fine restaurant and they're eating next to you. Uh, well, they recognized him and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They saw him there every single day. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now imagine if Peter and the eleven uh, just went into the temple and they started preaching about Jesus and that was it. Would it have an effect? Well, of course, if God's Holy Spirit is working, it has an effect. But many of these people, the last thing they heard about Jesus was that He had died on a cross. And they didn't know anything else about him. So now, all of the sudden, they're, if they're anywhere near the temple, they hear, hey, you know that guy that sits at the, the beautiful gate every day? Yeah, the one that can't get up and can't move. They have to carry him there every single day. Yeah, that's the one. Guess what? He's jumping around. you got to come see this. So they, they gather. People run to see this, and they see him praising God and, and leaping on these legs that were useless. And then they gather. And they have to cope with what's just happened. And they're wondering. There's a big question in their mind. What's going on here? And they're about to answer what's going on. They're about to say, I'll tell you what's going on. But what this did, the miracle itself was, it was not enough to make people repent. Come to Christ. The message was necessary. 
the miracle was like a good introduction to a sermon that captures your attention. You know, there, there is a phrase, and uh, it seems like every, every time I turn around now, I've, I see it. It's attributed to Francis of Assisi, but uh, pro- he probably didn't say it, but it doesn't really matter. It's the kind of thing he, he might have said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Now you say, well, I like that. That sounds good. In fact, that kind of gets me off the hook, you know? Well, really, the the better way is to say, preach the gospel. And you know what? Words are absolutely necessary. You can't think that everybody's going to figure it all out. God gave us the beauty of the, the gospel to preach and and to go, and and they're about to do that. The third purpose uh, of these miracles and healing was that it connected them to Jesus' ministry. Uh, Verse 6, very quickly, Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They were not, they were saying, look, we're not some upstart cult here. You've heard about Jesus of Nazareth. This is about Him. What you just saw is about Him. And then fourthly, appointed, verse 19, towards spiritual healing. Right on the heels of all that. Repent therefore. In other words, because of this this thing you've seen in this powerful God, there's there's something here that, that must be done. Repent therefore. Turn, your, uh, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The point was not to, have, not to just have a miracle and for everybody to go, wow! Now that was a miracle. And then to walk away. That wouldn't have been sufficient. God is not just out to wow people. He had something that would impact them for eternity. Now, let's look at the nature of healing. Again, we're going to go through these very quickly. And as we, as we hit the various healings in the book of Acts, we're, we're going to be pointing some of these out in, in terms of uh, healings and miracles. C.S. Lewis calls miracles an interference with nature by a supernatural power. An interference with nature by a supernatural power. Now, now we need to know God can heal any way He wants, any time. All right? Let's just stipulate that. We're not putting Him in a box. We're not saying He can't heal any old way He wants. He is the true physician, the great physician, the true healer. But in the Scripture, we do see a pattern of things that are common to actual healing. And and I want to point some of these out. Uh, uh, John MacArthur and others uh, um, make a number of distinctions that are true both with Jesus and the apostles when it comes to healing. And let me me point out some of these from this passage. First of all, uh, they healed organic illnesses. Verse 2. A man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms for those entering 
the temple. Now here's what I'm, how I'm defining an organic illness. It, it was visible. In his case, it was from birth. Commentators think he might have been somewhere in his 40s. Crippled from birth. Like Jesus, the apostles, when they healed, healed visible, obvious disease. Not just things like lower back pain. Now look, if you got lower back pain, I'm not saying that's not a disease and it's not crippling or it doesn't hurt or anything else or, and that Jesus can't heal it. But it's hard for anyone else to even relate to that pain other than however much you whine about it, right? Uh, heart palpitations, uh, headaches, other kind of invisible ailments. If those were the only things that they ever healed, how would they ever even measure them? But the kinds of healings that we see in the Scripture are things that everybody, well, in this case, everybody that walked by Him every day knew about. There was no sense that He might have been faking it. People don't fake it for 40 years just to get alms. And so, they healed organic Disease, disease that even the untrained, uh, uh, not the medical eye, but an untrained eye could observe. Another uh, thing about their healing is they did it with a word or touch. A word or touch. Verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. And here's, here's the word. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's the word. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. The touch. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And that brings us to the third characteristic of biblical healing. It was instantaneous. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. There was no need for therapy. No extra rehabilitation. He was healed instantly from a lifetime of lameness. You know how hard sometimes it is even to get up from the pew when your leg's gone to sleep? <laughs> He'd never used these legs. It was instantaneous. And then verse 8 goes along with it. It was total. And leaping up, he hadn't been a kid. He didn't know how to leap. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk, entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Can you picture it? Amazing. It was instantaneous. It was total healing. It wasn't, man, am I stiff? It wasn't, I need to learn how to walk and that kind of a thing. Now again, we're not saying God can't heal in that way. He does a lot. But the healing we see here 
we do see in distinction from some who in our day call themselves healers and say they are doing biblical healing. And then verse 10, it was affirmed by others. They recognized Him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to Him. Others saw it. It wasn't just Him saying, you know, look, here's what happened to me and I feel better and, and nobody being able to verify. Every, everybody there could verify it. There, there was no question. In fact, they don't say, you know, there, there's, there's no one that's saying that didn't really happen that was anywhere near being present. Remember the lady I told you about that had cancer and was pregnant? We're praying for the baby to be born, for her to at least make it through the delivery. She did. The baby was born, and the baby was fine. Short time later, my friend's sister-in-law had tests to see what the extent of the cancer, how, how much it had spread. And after extensive testing, the doctor said, we can't find any evidence of cancer. We don't know what happened to it. The family said, we know what happened to it. God took it away. Now here's the thing. It could come roaring back. It could. In fact, I spoke to someone from that church this week just to make sure it hadn't already come back before I even shared this with you. The cancer could, could come back with, with a vengeance. We, we know that. It's possible. Even with this wonderful answer to prayer, she will eventually get sick again someday and something will take her life. Now that's precisely why the message that followed this healing is the key to the passage. You see, the key to the passage isn't just that a lame man walked. There's something even better to follow. And so we see the message. Verse 12. Here's the message. It began with a confrontation with the depth of the sin of the people there. Remember, they all gathered. And we see Peter and John, they're not saying, how about that? What did you think of what we just did? There's none of that. They dive into sharing the Gospel to this gathered crowd that was already in amazement saying, what in the world's going on here? Verse 12, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though our own power or uh, uh, by our own power or piety we've made him walk? 
You see, they're diverting the attention. I'm not saying, don't, don't stare at me. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. See what he's saying? Yeah, you just saw the power of God. You just witnessed the power of God. We saw you. What you did pertaining to Jesus. He drags them back to their responsibility in terms of their sin. Something that they, they simply couldn't deny. They knew that. There might have been other sins they'd deny. But they all would have had to look around and say, He's got us there. He saw us. They all saw us. You know, too often in the Bible Belt, the message is, you got to get saved. Well, that is the message. But there's a lot of folks saying, saved from what? I'm a pretty good person. I'm not all that bad. So yeah, oh, my neighbor, yeah, he, he got to get saved. But I'm not near as bad as he is. Most often we underestimate two things. One is how holy God really is. And the other is how really sinful and lost we are without Christ. We underestimate both of those. If we say I'm not as bad as him, then we're we're, we're comparing to the wrong one. We're not comparing ourselves to the perfectly holy and righteous God of the universe. If we say I'm not that bad, then we don't really have a clue what it means to sin against a holy God. And here's the thing. You, you may look at this passage and say, yeah, those were bad people. They did that to Jesus. This same message applies to us. Oh, we weren't physically there to deny Him or to vote against, you know, to, to get Barabbas instead of Jesus. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't there, but the very same thing can be said is we are responsible for Jesus dying on the cross because of the sin in our life. The message goes on with the power of Christ. Verse 16. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's relating it back to the introduction to his sermon, which was the healing. He's saying, you're wondering what what this was all about. Here's what it's all about. It's the power of Christ. And then there's the call for the response. Repent, verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repenting. We've we've talked about that, that for the last several weeks. Turning away from sin toward God. 
Flee to God. God does not give us the luxury of being neutral about His Son. You see, here's this miracle. Here's this message. And you can't be neutral about that. You don't have to believe it. You can say, I don't believe it. Or, by faith, I do believe it. But you can't say, it doesn't matter. Oh yeah, you can say it. But what you're saying is, I deny it. I deny the importance of this. And then for for those who repent, there is the promise of forgiveness, the, the next part. Repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Now that word blotted out is a Greek word. It literally means uh, uh, to wash off or erase or obliterate. It's the same word that's used over in the book of, of Revelation, both of God who wipes away our tears and Christ who refuses to erase, to blot off our name from the book of life. One commentator talks about it this way, explains, and ancient writings were upon papyrus and the ink used didn't have any acid in it. And so they would write something on this papyrus, but just a little bit of water or something could just wipe it off. Let me bring this up to date. This is an inkjet printer versus a laser printer, okay? You know, an inkjet printer where it you know, spits out the ink, but it's just laying there on top. And the first time you have wet hands, it all kind of begins to be blotted out. This is what happens to our sins. But it's not just blurred away, it's blotted out. He wipes the slate clean. And then look at verse 20. What a promise here. Spiritual refreshment. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed to you. Jesus. Refreshment. Anybody in this room need some refreshment? Rest. Respite. Relief from burdens that you're carrying. This is the counterpart of forgiveness. God doesn't just wipe away our sins without adding refreshment to our spirit. And then it points to ultimate restoration, verse 20. And that He may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. This is restoration that will take place when Christ returns. So this seeming disparity between Jesus having conquered the world and the world appearing to be out of control, that's when those will come together and we will see He has conquered this world. And and the other thing that will make sense is these temporary healings because they are pointing to something even better and that is a time when we won't need healing. 
Because there won't be any more crying or pain or suffering or sickness. Because the old order of things has passed away and the old order of things is a fallen world that what He did on the cross will restore. Will make right. Interesting side note on this. All these people ran over to hear this sermon. Who else heard that sermon? The guy who had been leaping around. He didn't know anything about Jesus. But it says he was clinging to them. I don't blame him. He was clinging to them, so he would have heard this whole message. This lame man who knew nothing of grace and mercy and atonement and forgiveness of sins while standing alongside Peter received a full explanation of why this happened and what it really means. Now maybe today you find yourself in a similar situation, not being the lame man, but maybe you've seen God work. Maybe you've seen Him work in other lives around you. Maybe you've even seen Him do something powerful in your life. But you've stopped there. And you've never done what He has said, and that is, repent therefore. If you have seen, if God has given you spiritual eyes to see Him work in lives around you and in your life, a response is demanded. And the right response is trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. In Him, there is forgiveness. In Him, there is restoration. In Him, there is refreshment. Let's bow together. Lord, will you give us those spiritual eyes, not just to see the, the outward things that we are amazed by, but eyes to see the bigger picture of your glory and your power and your desire to work in our hearts that will uh, impact us eternally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.